Welcome to the Satiated Podcast, where we explore physical and emotional hunger, satiation, and healing your relationship with your food and body. I'm your host, Stephanie Mara Fox, your somatic nutritional counselor. I'm thrilled to be chatting with Kelly Cavanaugh today. Kelly is a trained chef, interaction designer, author, and speaker. She's the founder of the private chef platform, Nona Eats, where she brings people together with food through intimate dining experiences. Kelly's pursuit of food started at the age of five when she put on cooking shows for her friends and family. Her pursuit was turned on its head when she encountered health issues until she brought her sense of design to discover the eat-in method, a whole new approach to food. Welcome, Callie. Oh, thank you, Stephanie. It's so wonderful to chat with you and be on here. And thank you for the lovely intro. <laughs> yeah, well, I am fascinated by your work. I'm so excited to dive in with you today. And I first just want to get started with how did you get into this? Like, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your history. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I I started as a chef, you know, every ever since I was really young, I've been really into cooking. And I originally went to business school and decided I needed to transfer pretty soon after that to culinary school. And being in the food industry, you know, I realized a lot of a lot of challenges kind of in the back, you know, back of the scenes for the chefs and then also also for the consumers, me being one of them in terms of the quality of what was actually served in the in the industry. And I found myself having some really challenging issues with my guts. And so that led me to a really deeper relationship with myself and my food in terms of really understanding where it was sourced, where it was coming from. And also, you know, in the food industry, I myself, amongst many others, you know, it's a very fast paced environment. And there was very little sitting down to eat and enjoy my food. And it wasn't until I actually did that, that I took a lot of the stress out of my eating ritual and started to really enjoy it. And, you know, that pursuit was really in the beginning about flavor, right? Being a chef, like you're just trying to make something taste the best. But then I realized the most nourishment was actually like the feeling and the mindfulness of the actual eating and communing with others and, and really having this kind of holistic relationship with the land. And so I realized there is this kind of gap in the system, right? I found you know, help from nutritionists, help from therapists like yourself and all these other people. But there was, you know, I had this skill set with chefing, with culinary skills, right? And how could I help other people kind of cultivate in their own homes? Because yes, it's wonderful to go to a restaurant. It's wonderful to get a meal kit service, you know, to support you in the kitchen. But how can we really empower ourselves to cultivate this really deep relationship in our own homes? And, and so we feel kind of safe, right? And nourished at all times. So that that's kind of how I got here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing that. And isn't it so interesting that we go out to eat a meal? And I just think of like, putting myself in your shoes of here you are trying to like craft this amazing meal that tastes so delicious. And when we yeah. go out to eat, it's often we eat so quickly that we're not even tasting and experiencing the food. Most definitely. Yeah. And the atmosphere, right, of restaurants is curated. So it's it's really hard to hear other people, right? So we're kind of already disembodied to a certain extent, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's 
it's not a curated environment for us to actually be relaxed. And yeah, through my journey, you know, it's, I've found that that's the most nourishing thing really is, is first kind of being mindful in my space. Yeah. So from there, you kind of ended up creating this eat in method. And I'm very curious about, you know, what is it and what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, most definitely. So I should share that I didn't mention this before, but I actually went back to school and I got a master's in interaction design, which is really design thinking, which really looks at, you know, problems to deconstructing problems on a bigger scale and then reconstructing them in a way that actually works for every component of the system. And so I, you know, through my journey in the food industry, I also did a lot of research in agriculture to understand really what food tasted the best, but also really regenerated our land as well. And so I had this really big, crazy picture of the food industry and the agriculture system, and then us as consumers and how our health kind of plays into that. And so from this user experience design perspective, I kind of deconstructed this whole huge vision of everything and then kind of reconstructed it to see what is actually sustainable for us as as consumers, day-to-day people living in our lives, right? In this fast-paced modern world, like it's not sustainable to go out to a restaurant every day. It's not sustainable for any of these people, right? And so what is, and I and I believe the Eden method really supports that. So it supports us to really get back into our kitchens and create a space and environment in our kitchens that we want to be in, number one. So it's designed in a way that is easy to use and we enjoy being there, right? Like sometimes we don't take the time to really organize our our spaces so that we want to be there, right? But the Eden Method kind of starts with that, kind of clearing our slate in the kitchen to curate an environment that, that we really love and, like I said, want to spend time in. And then we work on, you know, building our personal pantries where we utilize, you know, highest nutrient dense foods that are typically local, typically seasonal, right? And really just starting to gain a deeper understanding and relationship with those foods around us. And then we work in planning, really planning out how to integrate those foods into our lives that that actually works with us and our schedules, right? Like we all have different lives. And so, you know, where we are today might be different from tomorrow as well. And so this method really provides you the skills and the tools to actually apply healthy eating habits to whatever, wherever you are right now, right? Whatever your schedule is right now. So it's really empowering. And then it's, it's also really about creating easeful cooking, right? Really a playful space, really elevating that experience. You know, you don't have to be a gourmet chef to enjoy your time in the kitchen. It could just be about play and experimentation and love and joy, right? And if you have those feelings as you're cooking, it doesn't matter if you're cooking for yourself or other people, right? That that feeling is you feel that in the food as well, right? So you can make a really simple salad and feel that love and joy and play within that salad, right? That's just greens and lemon juice and olive oil, right? So it's really about kind of getting back to basics and simplicity, but really about, you know, injecting higher emotions throughout the whole process. And then also kind of getting into understanding, obviously, mindfulness with food as we're eating it, but also curating environments with other people and using food as a way to connect with with others. And back, you know, to mealtime with our families and cultivating that that nourishment, right? Yes, it's about the food, of course, and high quality, but it's also really, truly about like, what are we most craving? 
probably connection, right? Face to face. We've gotten really good at connecting digitally, but can can we actually right sustain that physically as well? So that's that's kind of the method. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. You know, this is a conversation that I find myself a lot in with those that I work with as well. Of if there was no one in our home growing up that kind of cultivated a love for being in the kitchen and kind of starting to introduce, okay, this is how we can interact with food. Here's how we cut food. Here's how we can cook food. That the kitchen can actually feel an incredibly scary, daunting place. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, I was I was lucky enough to have a mom who loved food and, and my dad, you know, loves food. He doesn't really know how to cook anything other than you know, make cereal, <laughs> but he loves to eat anything. Right. And so that, that was really an environment where we connected and I feel very, very grateful for that. But yes, in today, in our modern world, a lot of us are working so much that we don't have the time to cook and we don't, it, yeah, it feels intimidating. Right. But this is not a place that has to be intimidating. And so this method is really about yes, let's play, let's try things. There's no failure here. It's just about, it's just about experimenting, right? And we can have fun, kind of like a playground and it might not taste amazing every time. And that's totally fine, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of pressure when you're starting to potentially get into the kitchen that it's like, oh, okay, I have to make sure that this comes out good. And if we even just kind of take that pressure off of, what if it was just yeah. getting into the kitchen to play? Yeah. Like you're reminding yeah. me of like my first easy bake oven. I'm just like bringing that really like childlike play into the kitchen. And I'm curious what has supported individuals you've worked with and starting to approach the kitchen with more of that sense of play and openness and freedom that you can't get it wrong. Yeah, most definitely. I think number one, it's actually just a kind of creating that deeper relationship with ingredients and interest in ingredients, right? So like going to a grocery store or the farmer's market or finding, you know, a place where you can kind of play with different tools, right? Meaning ingredients and food and 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 what intrigues you, what what seems interesting, right? And kind of starting to build a palette first and foremost, right? Like what is your body actually craving? And what is the tool set that you want to play with first, right? And then from there, you know, it's really about playing with recipes first, right? What what kind of lights you up in the sense of this soup sounds really good, right? To kind of tuning into your intuition, right? To understand what you're craving, right? And not not craving processed foods and understanding the difference between those cravings, right? not craving an emotion, but what is your body craving, right? And it's typically seasonal foods and it's typically wholesome foods, right? And so then we have this palette of, of different foods that we get to see. And I find that doing this with other people too, we we kind of light each other up. It's kind of this, like I said, again, like a playground, you know, where we feed off of each other's ideas and there's no boundaries, right? It's like, I don't, I don't know how to make pasta. Okay. That's fine. Like let's Google it. You know, we have this incredible, (laughs) this incredible search engine now at our fingertips that we can utilize and we can also utilize other people's experience too. So it's about really not worrying about getting it wrong, but just trying whatever, 
your gut is telling you, you know, your craving and kind of starting from there. And each and every time we start these little experiments, as I like to call them, right, it builds and builds and builds and we get more comfortable with just testing different things and trying things. And, and all of a sudden our meals actually taste wonderful. And, and to be honest, most of the people that I work with, like if we're listening to our gut and our intuition and, and actually free you know, letting go of the fear in the process and free and trying those tuning into that intuition, creating a meal from there. Most of the meals actually taste exactly like we wanted. And we didn't even know that we wanted it. Right. And you can't get it in a restaurant. It's it's just what you really want. Yeah. I think that's such a great suggestion of starting with just looking at recipes because it gives you the opportunity to enter into a place of, well, I'm not making this yet. And I can just slowly ease myself into this and just notice what recipes light me up, what looks interesting. And when you're talking about just like following your gut, I like to kind of describe that as just like listening to your bodily feedback. So there are some recipes where you might notice like a contraction happening. Like you might notice that there are some recipes where you feel really expansive or your breath starts to get deeper and just kind of noticing how your body responds when you are looking at different recipes. And it could be a recipe that you're like, wow, that is something that I would want to make. But wow, look at all of those ingredients and all the steps and that feels really overwhelming. And it's like, okay, you might not be there yet. That might not be a recipe to start with, but you might kind of like save it in your tabs and say, yes, back to this. (laughs) An inspiration. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, it really is about baby steps. And just, I love the somatic approach in the sense of like, what is, what are you actually feeling? Right. Because that is, as we start to really, truly listen, like everything just flows and those recipes that you put on the shelf for later, like all of a sudden you're just going to be making them right. Because those foods are going to, you're going to be attracted to those foods. You're somehow going to put them together and it's going to be at your table. Like, and I know that sounds like magic and kind of crazy and there's no, no thinking involved here, right? Like we don't have to worry about how it comes together. It's, it's a process that, that will evolve if we actually listen to those somatic feelings. I think that's, that's so on point. I love it. Yeah. And your other suggestion of doing it with other people, I think is so spot on because we are not meant to embark on new explorations alone. You know, it can make it so much easier, even if you're doing it with your kids. You know, you might look up different recipes with your family, with your significant others, with your kids and just say, okay, what are we all drawn to? And then you're getting everybody into the kitchen together to even start to pass this down to your younger generation of it's safe to come into the kitchen. It's safe to play in here. It's safe to get messy. And it's safe to also get it wrong and burn it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's safe to have some fun, no matter what that looks like. Exactly. Yeah. And getting kids involved is such a rewarding experience because they, I mean, they then create a really open relationship with food, right? That that isn't based on fear or restricting or something, you know, it's really about play. And I will just say, you know, part of my learning started when I was in culinary school, I studied abroad in Italy and that totally transformed my approach to food and Mm -hmm. understanding of it because in Italy, it's about, I mean, there's a real intention. There's a respect for mealtime, right? It's a, it's an hour long process there. And it's about how, you know, it's how they socialize, right? And, and that is a sacred time for them every single day. And it's something that 
I think that we've we had that here in our country and our culture, right? And it's kind of gotten lost a little bit, right? Because we've we're so focused on you know career or or, or other things, right? Moving fast and that slow culture is is really truly I experienced it in Italy and it was something that I walked away from being like, oh my gosh, how how do we how is this revolutionary? And and at the same time, how do we not have this, right? And it is the most, it's the deepest thing that I've felt. And I think, you know, there, they really, they harness that time in the kitchen, right? From multi-generations. And I think it's really expansive and inspirational and, um, and something that, yeah, we can, we can look to for inspiration. Yeah, you know, I've experienced that a lot just in my own Jewish family of recipes have been passed down from generation to generation. And, you know, it's something that this love of cooking also gets passed down of, oh, I get to make this thing that my great, great grandmother also made at some point in time. And, you know, you may not have that experience in your own family. And so you could even start today of creating your own traditions in the kitchen of these are foods that I like to make around these time of year. And also it can be like, you you can make those foods at any point in time, but (laughs) you know, there's something special about creating certain foods around specific time of years to kind of mark that transition in the year of, oh, we eat these foods. Like you were talking about seasonally at this time of year, because that's what's in season and that's what's growing right now. Yes. It's so beautiful. Those those traditions, those rituals, right? I mean, that that idea of food as celebration, I think, is something that we can really start to bring back into our lives and is is very meaningful to me personally. I have a of a story about a friend who she's actually of Italian roots, but she, you know, grew up in America and her her family came over here. And they were kind of big time farmers in California. And so they'd have they had to eat seasonally <laughs> because that was, was grown <laughs> right for them. So she speaks of this time, you know, come, come March where all she knows to eat is asparagus because that's really all they had, right? When an asparagus crop came, they ate it kind of for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and that might seem overwhelming and kind of gross. And some people might not like asparagus, so especially gross, but for her, it's actually this cleansing and and time of like spring, you know, growth, renewal, it really does mark like a whole new phase of the year for her every single year. And I think it is a really beautiful kind of depiction of, of what's possible with food, right? Learning to, our land is a really symbolic, you know, in terms of of us and and the year and these this ebb and flow of seasons and life cycle and and connecting to that it's a very I would say deep approach, right? Yeah. You know, what I'm really hearing in that is, yeah, what was available to her was just what was being grown. And it's really interesting because there's foods that are available to us all year long because of how we ship foods around the world and to different places. And so uh, I just want to also name that when we're talking about like things that grow seasonally, it's fine to eat something that is potentially not in season at that time of year. and you naturally start to crave different foods as the seasons change. Be like, this isn't yes. something you have to work super hard at. Just you yes. naturally start to 
crave like more root vegetables, more cooked foods when it starts to get to these colder winter weather. And you naturally start to want more raw, crisp, cold foods when it gets to summer weather, just because of what is happening outside and how we're interacting with that change. Yes, exactly. It's yeah, that your intuition, your gut, you know, if you're if you're tuned in, it will tell you what's in season, right? <laughs> and like you said, we we do have these amazing grocery stores that have, you know, a plethora of food that it can get confusing if we're if we're not listening. And it is totally okay to eat something that's available that might not be in season, of course. But yeah, it's it's a kind of a cool process to start listening and realizing, oh my gosh, what I'm craving is in season, right? It It is a really beautiful web. Yeah. So something else that you named was kind of organizing your kitchen in a way that you want to be in it. And I would love for you to talk more about that, of what has that looked like for you and yeah. for those that yeah. you've supported? Yeah, most definitely. It's, it's relatively intricate process, but it really starts out with clearing different items, which also comes with a lot of emotion. But once we clear, there's kind of this clear slate, right? And there's an opportunity to freeze space emotionally, physically, mentally, everything, right? But we hold on to a lot of items, right? And if we can take the time to get rid of some of those, we have space to breathe. And so we might not even realize that our kitchens are holding on to some emotions, some I don't want to say baggage, right? But it's just some items that we never use, right? Number one, we kind of look at first and foremost, what are the items that actually light us up that we truly love? So tapping back into that somatic feeling, that that intuition, right? What are those things? And can we have a goal, probably more long-term, and that's perfect, to have a kitchen that lights us up, that has that feeling? And this is a process that can be in a day for some people. And this is a process that can be for a year for some people. And it's completely fine, whatever is your preference. But slowly or quickly, whatever you like, you know, it's it's really about identifying specific categories of items and what, you know, what are the things that we actually use and what are the things that we actually love? And the others, you know, the things that are not taken care of, right? That might actually be toxic materials, things that are we have multiples of and we really don't need or things that we really truly never use, right? Can we actually get rid of those things? And once we do, then can we organize, you know, our our pantries and our drawers and our cupboards in a way that you know, everything is just in its in its place, right? And so then this is kind of derived from my my time in the culinary world, uh, my many years. <laughs> and it, there's this term called mise en place and means everything in its place. And so, you know, imagine like these chefs that are, <laughs> they're on these kind of like assembly lines. They set everything up like an assembly line because they're cooking, you know, hundreds of plates of food every single night. And so they need to have everything in its place in order to put them out timely and orderly and beautifully, right? And so if we set our kitchens up like that, everything becomes incredibly easy, right? And it's it's like setting up that playground. We have all our toys in different places. They're all there for us to to access, right? And then we get to play, right? When it's clear and free and there's space, 
right? It really is a playground that's set up perfectly with these different tools of ingredients or, you know, what have you to really cultivate space for, for play. That's kind of the, the emotion that we, we look to achieve. And in terms of, you know, setting things up, you know, there's, there's little tips like heavier things like a KitchenAid mixer, for example, you know, you want to make sure to store that on a lower shelf, right? On a shelf that you're not, you're not putting yourself in danger, right? Reaching and potentially hurting yourself and in, in getting it down, right? Or, you know, you're not fluttering, you know, a shelf or a drawer where it doesn't close, right? That sounds frustrating. And, and while it might seem small, that small frustration does add up, right? So really small things like that, it's really about curating an environment that's easy to be in, easy to use. And, and you just, it's kind of creating a flow state while you're cooking. Oh my gosh. I am laughing over here because I'm thinking about how many drawers we have of just kitchen utensils because you just <laughs> yeah, like, start, totally, totally. start to like collect you, you them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. then like that drawer, just like you open it and it feels so overwhelming to even look at that of, I don't right. even know what's in there that you just kind of close it. And so that even... <laughs> Like thinking of, I love this just a description that you are diving into of does walking into your kitchen or even opening your drawers or your cupboards bring you into a relaxation response in your body? Because even if you yeah. don't kind of, I, I talk a lot about the nervous system of like, you're able to be in the parasympathetic nervous system when you walk into yeah. the kitchen, it's going to be hard then to be in a state where it feels manageable and doable to play and cook yourself yeah. a meal and be in that space where it feels safe no matter what happens. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's setting yourself up for success, right? And and I will preface, you know, it does feel like a lot of work to clear those items. You know, I know there's even just even the idea of like clearing a junk drawer can seem super overwhelming sometimes, but it is like a lot of this, you know, the Eden method really is derived in meditation and kind of getting back to that feeling, right? Can you imagine, can you envision, can you ground yourself in that feeling of that play, right? That ease and that ideal, that goal, right? And just take baby steps to get there. And it and it doesn't matter how long it takes you, right? It it doesn't have to be overwhelming. And so this is, you know, I'm I'm launching this eight-week program in which people do this together, right? So you're not alone and you have resources and you have tools and yeah cuz it can it can feel super daunting and you could be like why is this taking me you know 5 weeks and someone can be like you know it, it took me 10 weeks right and and you don't feel alone realizing that there is there's a lot of emotion through food right and and through items and through even the idea of sitting down with their families brings up emotion right <laughs> it's not always the, the ideal scenario Maybe, you know, we're recording, I don't know when you'll launch this, but we're recording this soon after a holiday and, you know, coming together at the holiday, you have this ideal picture of us sitting around a family, you know, table with the family. And this is like the time of year when the most stuff comes up, right? <laughs> and so it's, it's, um, it's, I think it's very, very important to really have this collective experience and to be open and be able to share with other people and be like, you know, things come up in, in this this process, right? And we shoot for the ideal. And one day we get there, we feel that, right? And along the way, it's okay to have little bumps along the road. 
Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you bringing that in. And if you're listening, you know, this could be an opportunity to even break out a journal and kind of explore like, what is my relationship with the kitchen? What was I taught about being in the kitchen growing up? You know, what was my parents' relationship with the kitchen? And so you start to bring in this awareness of, oh, this was what was passed down to me. And this is what I was taught. And so, yeah, it makes a lot of sense why maybe I might go into a little bit of a fight or flight response when I think about getting into the kitchen myself. Or, you know, you might reflect on what were your experiences of family time meals? Absolutely. If they were disruptive, if they were upsetting, if they were overwhelming, like, why would you want to recreate that? And so, yeah. And so it's kind of getting just curious about, okay, so that's what was you know, yeah. if I could enter into what is an ideal situation for me, what would I want a meal time experience to look like? And how might I take baby steps to start cultivating that in my life now? Most definitely. I love that. E- exactly. Who knows what we experienced, right? And we get to really create and curate what what we want, right? And tiny steps to get there, we can get there. The interesting thing about food is, you know, typically the average person, right? It's three times a day. And that's an hour a day that we spend with food. We spend a lot of time with it. And so there is a really amazing opportunity to inject joy and love and play and whatever emotion, you know, whatever lights you up in your day through the simple act of eating, preparing, enjoying food. So yes, it it could feel far off, but little baby steps, I assure you it's worthwhile to get there. Yeah. It makes me think of just in your referencing of we're in relationship with this thing, our entire lives, every single day. And because of kind of the culture that we live in, that is so fast paced, that relationship doesn't really get a lot of attention. It's kind of like sitting down to a cup of tea with a friend and they're kind of checking their phone. And leave that experience kind of being like, wow, that did not quite feel nourishing to be around that friend today. It didn't really feel like I was getting the presence that I was looking for. And that's how kind of we might leave every single meal when that, that mindfulness, that slowing down doesn't get to occur. And I know you talk a lot about just mindful eating and would love to hear kind of your thoughts of how you've slowly guided individuals into bringing in that more mindfulness with their food, because it is such a process. It is a process, most definitely. And, you know, it's actually kind of, it's funny, my partner, you know, we eat together at least once a day, and he doesn't even know that I'm mindful eat. So (laughs) it's one of those things that can feel kind of weird (laughs) if you do it day to day and around other people. So I completely understand if if it feels a little wonky. But even just taking one time to, to do an experience of just sitting down with your food. And I, and I like to do this in a, a, a more silent environment. So sometimes that can be curated, you know, on your own. And if it's with other people, it can be great to do this with others in a, you know, five minutes of silence type of thing. But really, you know, just having a, a plate of food, it can be simple, it can be complex, whatever it is in front of you. And really taking a few moments to, to take a few breaths and really, you know, kind of belly breaths to really ground yourself in this moment in time. And with a little bit of silence and stillness, I think that's a really nice way to start your experience of food. And then, and then actually opening your eyes to see the plate of food, right? 
And what are the colors that you see? What are the textures that you see? And for me, when I do that, there's almost a a deeper relationship that occurs in the sense of we're looking at this food, like seeing where it grew, seeing, you know, the farmer who cultivated the food, right? The land that, that where it was harvested, right? And then even having a deeper connection with, you know, the person who prepared the food. And that's a kind of larger extent. Obviously, you could be eating an energy bar and still have an interesting experience of thinking about how it was made, right? But even taking a moment to have just the gratitude of that, of this food being on your plate and how it got there, to me is incredibly nourishing way to kind of start, right? This this little gratitude ritual. And maybe that doesn't even, gratitude doesn't even look like how the food got to your plate, but can you even just be like, thank you for the safety of me being here right now, right? Or thank you for the, the others who I'm sharing this meal with or whatever that looks like to you in, in that moment. And then bite by bite, taking the time to feel the food in your mouth, taste the food in your mouth, you know, taking probably a couple more bites than you normally would, right? Putting your fork down in between bites and really just being with that that food and that bite and experiencing it you can do (laughs) you can do that for a very long time and your experience will change and it's actually really interesting to see how the food morphs in your mouth it sounds a little bit a little bit gross you know (laughs) but the mindfulness of it is really interesting to kind of you know get to a, a more molecular granular level with food right and we're feeding ourselves right and and getting to a, a more intimate experience with that is mindfulness, right? You're in the present moment then. <laughs> and so that process, it can look like two breaths, seeing your plate and enjoying your first bite, you know, before a family meal, or it can look like a 20 minute experience with your friends and then sharing about that, right? Whatever it does, whatever it looks like is is perfect. But for me, even that first couple of breaths, that gratitude and just that presence is enough to start a meal in a in a holistic way and really getting attuned to myself. And I find myself, if I start my meals that way, really listening to my body as well in terms of when I'm full, right? in terms of when I'm satiated and satisfied and nourished. Yeah, such great examples. It's really interesting. When I first started the practice of kind of more mindfulness eating, one of the things that I would also do is I would look at my plate and I would imagine where did this food come from? And back to like the little seed that got had to be planted and the sun that had to be on this seed and the water that it it needed to grow. And like, you really realize how miraculous it is that that food is now on your plate with how much needed to occur. And I, I just wanted to add that if you are someone who like cooking for yourself right now sounds really scary, it doesn't happen very often. You could do this literally with anything. Like even yes. if you're eating a bag of potato chips, like yes, you can like exactly. that, it's still came from a potato. <laughs> like you can still right. imagine, like, okay, this crunchy, salty thing that I'm having this delicious experience with, same thing. You can do this yes. with that as well. That like that oil and salt and potato, like all needed to be created and like mined and like all those things to basically create that potato chip in that bag. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, it could be with anything, most definitely. Yeah. And I love the idea of how much water it took to 
to bring this thing to life and and bringing in the nature aspect of it too that creates an even deeper relationship with our purchasing habits right and who we're supporting along the way and there's some amazing people who are farming, you know, regeneratively and bringing the land to life rather than stripping it away. And that's a more advanced <laughs> way of looking at our food, right? And if you're not there, that's completely fine. But, you know, every time we purchase food, we also have the opportunity of investing in, you know, really sound, supportive people and land and, you know, regenerating our planet right and so that's a that's a very deep <laughs> way of looking at food as well but if you cultivate this mindfulness experience you get there a lot quicker and all of a sudden food really does create or take a different role you know in our in our lives it's it's much bigger than just feeding us right we're we're feeding the world almost right in in how we're choosing the foods that we eat yeah absolutely and you know little small places that you can even explore to start is kind of even looking up like local farmers markets just to even yeah. get to know the people in your area that are growing your food or yeah. you know the different offerings that maybe your your local community has i think is a really small easy way to start because it's financially there's like nothing you know you could just right. go there and walk <laughs> around and just see what's available and like get yeah. to know your community a little bit more and how they interact with food it's just kind of yeah. a, a really just you know very simple way to start of like, huh, what, what does like my community doing around relationship with food? Totally. Yeah. And that brings a grat for me, at least if I go to a farmer's market, I know where my food is being grown and that person who grew it. And then I look at my plate and I have that food on my plate or, I, you know, I cooked and brought it to life. There's a deeper gratitude that I feel you know, for that thing being on my plate, because I can, I can see and feel the person, right? Who really brought the thing to life? That is such a deep connection, you know, with my community. And it's very, to me, it's very rewarding. Yeah. And I just really hear you bringing in this very different aspect of sometimes we can look at food and kind of see like, what is it? giving us like emotionally, you know, a lot. I know that individuals here sometimes are navigating patterns of emotional eating or binge eating or just struggling in their relationship with food. And sometimes just even seeing this of like, okay, like there's nothing wrong with this cookie or this brownie or this thing that I'm having, like whatever it is that you have labeled like a, a quote unquote bad food. Like even starting to see these are just ingredients, like you even called them tools, like someone used tools to like make this food that I'm having this emotional experience with right now. And it's okay to have that emotional experience with it. And you could even bring in the things that we're talking about today of, okay, like how did this piece of pie get to my plate to like provide me this (laughs) emotional grounding right now that, you know, like you can play with this in any particular moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost bewildering to think sometimes for me to look at the plate of food and just see kind of the cycle to how it, how it got there. And it may, it's kind of, to me, almost like looking at the stars, you know, when you can see whole bright sky of stars and realizing like how small I am in, in relationship to the stars and in a beautiful way, right. Of just like, wow, we're connecting with this crazy galaxy. And I just, I still don't understand it. And right. But, almost I know this is a really kind of weird contrast but 
I feel like a plate of food can almost be similar, right? And just seeing the cycle of how it got here and how it's feeding us and we're feeding it at the same time. And just the cycle of life is is present and it's it's a very beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. Not out there at all. I mean, when we <laughs> eat, you. we are being connected to our surroundings. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. like there there was rain and there was sun and there was all sort there yeah. was people and there was different hands involved in creating this food that is there that even if it's your an experience that you're having a, a binge eating experience with that food, you know, sometimes even imagining like, like what created this food for me to have this experience right now sometimes can even yeah. start to slow you down to be in relationship with that food that even in a moment that it's emotionally yeah. supporting you, you know, can start to get you back into your body to feel more of that calm relaxation response. So I think what you're suggesting lends itself to a lot of different areas, regardless of you are in a relaxed moment where you feel like, oh, I really want to practice this mindful eating right now. Or you're in a moment where you're more in that fight or flight response, bringing in kind of that mindful eating can be sometimes a great place to start, to start to slow you down, to get back into your body of it's safe to connect with this food right now. Yes, most definitely. The other thing too, is if you're cooking your food, right? We talked about gratitude for the other people that that brought the food here, but there's such a deeper connection, gratitude to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And to there's an acknowledgement, right? You can actually sit and acknowledge yourself for providing this self care, right? For this nourishment that you took the time for yourself. And I think that to me every day, is is incredibly rewarding. Yeah, I so love that you brought that in. I think that is also such a huge component of when you actually make yourself something or even if it's not you making it, let's say you buy a sandwich somewhere, you know, it could be like, oh, I want to appreciate myself that I took the time to make sure that my body was going to be nourished. And I did that for myself. Yes, exactly. Taking the time to even plan to have those healthy foods or nourishing foods, we'll just say, right, is a huge, huge step. You know, it's once again, those those little steps make us feel the best, right? Yeah. Oh, this has been such an inspirational conversation. I just am loving what you're doing in the world. And I want to make sure that we leave some time just for you to share, like, how can people keep in touch with you? You know, what are you doing in the world? Where can people find your offerings? Yeah, most definitely. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time. This has been wonderful. And it's nourishing to me. (laughs) So yes, I'm launching a series of eight week programs coming up this February 2023. So in those programs, we do digital and live small group experiences. You have a cohort, you're supported 24-7. You have one-on-one coaching calls with me where we actually work through these seven different components of the Eden method that I mentioned earlier from clearing your kitchens to organizing them to building, planning, cooking, eating all together, right? And so we actually start to ingrain these healthy habits together. So that's one way that's, that's really incredible, incredible way to kind of transform our relationship with food, right? And really be connected doing it with others. But I also have a book that supports that. I have a podcast myself. I also have some YouTube videos and we will actually be creating a place where, you know, it, 
the eating method is kind of like the most advanced version, right? If you're eating at home every day and having this beautiful connected experience around food, amazing. You've, you've really gotten somewhere, <laughs> you know, after probably a lot of years of work. But along the way, you know, as you, as we mentioned, right, there's, there's other foods and other restaurants, right, and other ways to support ourselves. And so I'm also creating a place with such resources where we can really support our community and support ourselves with nourishing food, but maybe not, doesn't always have to look, you know, perfect, right? And so what are the other other ways that we can actually just create these healthy habits no matter where we are on our journey? So I still don't know what that looks like and, and where that will be. But if you find my, my website, there will be some beta testing throughout the year with, with those kinds of resources. Awesome. Well, you're doing such important work in the world. And just thank you for sharing your wisdom today. Just loved this conversation. And I will put all of those links in the show notes so individuals can find all of those. And as always, for those listening, you know, if you have any questions, reach out anytime here for you every step of the way of this food and body adventure. And I will connect with you all again really, really soon. Bye. 